This is Government Gone Digital. I'm Dana Birchman, Chief Digital Officer here in Gilbert, Arizona, and I'm joined today by Patrick Banger, our town manager, and Derek Konofalski, our digital guru. That's what I'm. That's your new name I'm going to call you. Sweet. Um, who runs our Spark App League. And so we're going to talk today about Spark. What is it? How it was created? Um, really quite an amazing program, something I know I'm the most proud of um, since I've been here about four and a half years now, and this program has just grown beyond my wildest expectations and imagination. And Derek, you're in, you're a large part of the reason why. So let's talk a little bit about Spark. What is Spark? Give our listeners just a brief, you know, overview of, of what Spark is at the core. Sure. So Spark is a competition that we host uh, every year for high school students and now junior high students where they get together and they compete um, to make the best games, apps, um, and, and basically just programming projects. Um, and it's a partnership that we have with ASU. And really, we teach the students how to code um, before the event. And then it's just kind of a two-day hackathon where they come in and um, they compete to, to help the town make apps or make games um, that just kind of revolve around what we do here. Pretty, pretty amazing. And so, Patrick, tell us a little bit about, I know when you came here, part of, you know, the vision was to create, a, you know, many digital initiatives and digital government. And I know when I came, I thought, oh, what kind of mobile apps do we have? And I went to look and we really didn't have any that were working or functioning. And it was like, well, these are expensive. You know, I don't have these huge budgets. And so had to start thinking about getting creative to look at maybe leveraging relationships or partnerships to help us to create some mobile apps. And um, talk to me a little bit about that vision. And I know, you know, data is a huge piece of that and the data that we're collecting and, and making it useful. And so tell me, you know, go back about four years ago, you know, before Spark came to be and kind of from your standpoint, where, you know, how it how it has evolved. Sure. So, you know, Dana, I've said it before, and I've, I've always meant it and, and still do that. You know, I had an idea, and then I hired you. And you made it come to life and made it so much more than I ever thought it could be, would be. And, and through the help of people like Derek, the original thought I had in, in getting back to it, we'd mentioned in a previous episode, you don't have a lot, you don't need to spend a lot of money to accomplish these things. And knowing that we weren't in a position or we didn't really have the desire to invest a lot of money, but how can we still harness the value of the data that we collect uh, that sits on our servers and on our shelves and put that to use for our residents, to the betterment of our residents. And I'd been watching and following a lot of hackathons that were going on around the nation and some in New York City and some in Miami. And, and some of these cities had, um, through private donations, created prizes and um, to invent new websites for the communities that were simpler to navigate, more responsive. And I thought, you know, that's a that's a very creative way um, to bring some value back, but but do it in a way that leverages the private sector and, and kind of stretches the dollars. And so that was the general concept I described to you. And I didn't know, you know, with Gilbert, 
we don't have as many major corporations as, as a New York City has or a Miami has. So I didn't know how much money we could raise if we wanted to go down that path. But you're the one who came up with the concept of involving our schools and our high schools and not just Gilbert High Schools, but harness the power of high schools all around the state of Arizona to do this very thing. And, and it really um, just blossomed and took off from there. And, and so not only do we get these very creative apps, mobile apps for our residents uh, at no cost to uh, the community, but we're now exposing these kids to jobs and careers of the future, that any one of them could be the next Facebook founder, the next um, Google founder, the next Twitter founder, that, you know, the really, um, those are the careers of the future. And we are um, exposing them to that, sparking that interest at a very early age. Yeah, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, I well, think he intended that. <laughs> and, I won't quit my day job. Okay. Well, and it is it is true, although it was a surprise to me, too. I mean, I set out thinking, well, maybe there's some, you know, local developers here in Gilbert and, um, you know, kind of led to Arizona State University's um, Polytechnic Campus, which is in the East Valley here. Um, their main campus is in Tempe and, and their... Um, other campus, extended campus, is kind of on the border of Gilbert and Mesa, and realized that they were doing some things um, with a few coding camps and classes that they had, and they were focusing on high school students. And so we were able to kind of attach ourselves to an event that they had, and we realized, wait a second, these kids, these high school students know more about coding and development, whereas I thought, you know, oh, you know, you know, developers, people that have been doing this and know it was really kids that are being exposed to these new technologies. And now we're, you know, involving junior high students, which of course, again, we just keep getting younger and younger, which is what's so cool about the program. But um, since then, we've brought on Google as our sponsor, um, also something we're very proud of. And um, our Google engineer that came to our event said that he'd been all over the country and had never seen events like this. So Derek, talk to me about the dynamics of the event. I think it's really interesting. We bring kids from all over Arizona. We're about to introduce our second event of the year. We do an event in the spring, and then we're about to do an advanced event because we have a lot of return students. Um, these kids come from all over, and um, they may have never coded before, or they might be quite advanced. And so talk to me a little bit about the format. And, you know, one of the things we've kind of outgrown, we've we've maxed out our capacity at our events, and we keep talking about maybe making it virtual or making it national. But there's something about the energy in the room when these kids come together that's really quite amazing. And I'd love for you to talk to me about that. Yeah. So I think with the events, one of my favorite things about it is we've kind of had different formats throughout the years of the events. And I've never, I wasn't here when the event first started, but I think just using our latest event as an example, um, it, it kind of brings to mind two of my favorite quotes of all time. And one is, which I think just sums up spark as a whole is, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, which is basically, you know, we didn't have the resources for it. So boom, now we have this event that comes up. But my second favorite one is uh, an Orson Welles quote, and it's, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something along the lines of the enemy of creativity is freedom. And the reason I say that is because the events that we've set up for kids is we basically bring them in and then give them like a theme or a topic. So last year, our theme was tourism. 
We just kind of set these students free to, to come up with their own problems that they want to solve with these apps, and then they have to figure out their own solutions for the problems. So we're not telling them like, hey, we need this app to do A, B, and C. And I think when you give them that freedom and that creativity, they get excited about it. And then, you know, they come up with these ideas that their teammates then get excited about. And then other teams see that same excitement. And it just kind of like each student builds on the excitement of the previous student that then builds on the excitement of their teams and their classmates. And the whole room just really like elevates and just becomes this, this giant ball of energy that everybody's excited about. Um, I mean, it doesn't help that we give them prizes and, you know, there's, there's food that they get and stuff and snacks and all that. Mini drones. Yeah. And- yeah. Mini drones. And we have power banks and stress balls and all that stuff. But I, I really, I think that the energy is directly related to the creativity and the freedom that we give them because it's not like a normal class activity or a school activity where it's like, okay, you have to do this and then you have to do this and you'll have succeeded when you do this. You know, it's, Hey, uh, you know, tourism was, was the theme. And, and last year, um, or this spring, we did an event for a game jam where we basically gave them a city theme. And I mean, if you go on the websites, it's, it's sparkapleague.com, seeing some of the projects that these students made just that they came up with off the top of their heads are just amazing to me. I think, I think that's the root of all the energy that's in the room. Yeah. Derek, if I could say something, you know, you said something that really struck me is um, how often have you ever heard anyone say that kids get excited about a problem they've been given? And and that's really what this does. Usually kids at that age um, dread the problems that they're given in school to solve or the things that in their life. And and this is a situation where they're, this is um, coding. Anybody can do it, but it, you're going to have to apply yourself, and they're getting excited about it. And, and that's really, you think about um, one of the amazing benefits we get from this that, that wasn't necessarily, you know, at the, the core, um, uh, what we were seeking to achieve at the beginning, but an amazing byproduct of all of this. Yeah, and these are kids that we've heard from teachers were troubled before they came to Spark. Some of them were, you know, not coming to class, not showing up, were really on track to fail and came through our program. And then suddenly they had this new energized interest. I mean, I know you probably don't want to toot your own horn too much, Derek, (laughs) but I've seen the emails that come from teachers and they basically say, you know, these kids had multiple detentions and now they're showing up and working hard because they have a purpose. And that is the goal. We want to expose students at the earliest age possible to the idea of one, college, and two, computer science-related majors. And with the hopes that then they'll go and choose those majors and those then careers. And I love the stat you give about um, homegrown entrepreneurs. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's also another part of the vision. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple stats that I love. Um, I've If you go to like code.org, they have tons and tons of statistics on each state in the entire U.S. Um, but two stats that really kind of stand out to me are that one, 70% of entrepreneurs that start a business or a company based around some kind of idea um, tend to start their business in their hometown 
or uh, in the town that they were educated or the city that they were educated. Um, and then the second stat that I really like is, and it, this just kind of speaks to what Patrick was talking about. Um, there's over 340,000 open computer science jobs in the United States. And 80% of those are open because they need some kind of specialization along with programming knowledge. And I think when you talk about, you know, getting kids excited and, and you know, Patrick was saying, when, when have you ever seen students get excited about a problem that they were given? That, that's the kind of thing that I see all the time in programming and coding and software development and that kind of thing is you're working on somebody else's passion. You're working on something else that somebody else told you to make or do, or, or, you know, a problem that somebody else told you to figure out. And these students are getting the opportunity to not only identify a problem that they feel is important, that they're passionate about, but then they get to do the mental gymnastics and, and the work of, of figuring it out. And I, I know just from my personal experience, the reason that I got into coding and that I like it so much is because it's like, a puzzle that you just try over and over and over again until you finally get it right. And then when that puzzle happens to do something that you wanted, you know, it gives you an outcome that you wanted, like there's no better reward. Um, I just gave a talk to uh, Gilbert Junior High students and I do this presentation that I call um, You're a Wizard, Harry, because I think coding is as close as kids can get or, or, or students can get to being wizards. You can create things that nobody has ever thought of. You can send messages to people halfway across the world, you know, with code and stuff like that. And that's all stuff that students that come to this event get to experience every single time. I mean, now with all the virtual reality stuff and everything, I mean, it's anything that you can imagine you can make and to see something that you imagined literally in front of you and to be able to interact with it is just amazing. And one thing we've discovered is that they're not getting this exposure in school. Um, you know, there might be, there might not even be a coding class in their high school or their junior high. They might have a club. Um, but what we're realizing is the teachers don't feel confident. Maybe they're intimidated. This is technology that they don't understand. They don't know coding. That wasn't how they were trained. Um, and so they're not confident. So either it's not in their curriculum or they're running a club, but they're just kind of hands off. They're just this, you know, club supervisor, but they're not really helping the students along. And so that was a huge realization that we came to was these teachers were intimidated because they might not know how to code and their students a lot of times can run circles around them, which is fine. So we came up with the idea to incorporate teacher training into our program. So talk to me about that. And I think that's been a really amazing added benefit this last year for us and something that I think um, probably is is more powerful and meaningful for everyone involved, um, but the teachers are really loving this. Yeah, so one of my foundational beliefs about coding is that anyone can learn how to code. And just like you said, the the first thing that I did when I came onto the team was I, I sent out a survey to all the teachers and then separately to all the students that had participated in previous events. And I, I just asked them, you know, how did you feel about the event? What did you think we could improve on? What what 
Did you like? What did you dislike? And the teachers or sponsors overwhelmingly came back with, I wish I could help my students more. Most of them know more about coding than I do. And so, I mean, that was, I just took that direct idea that I heard from multiple teachers and multiple sponsors, and I turned that into teacher training. So when we do our beginner level event in the spring, um, we start you know, January 1st basically is when I start my planning and everything for it. But I basically do virtual sessions um, through Google Hangouts. Google's our sponsor for the event. So um, we do Google Hangout sessions. I do multiple times a week, but it's the same curriculum each week for uh, up to six weeks, depending on um, what the session is. But we just, we go through everything that the students are going to do a month in advance so that the teachers get to see all this material in advance. They've worked through it on their own. The teachers know how to do it. The teachers know how to troubleshoot it so that when the students start, the teachers have a six-week head start on what the students are doing. So it's not quite the same with the advanced level event. Um, we're still we're still working on the teacher uh, aspect of that, but at least for the beginning level event, um, we, we find that just the teachers feel more comfortable, you know, I asked every single one of the teachers to submit a project and I helped them build a project. Um, we use a program called Scratch. I helped each of the teachers build a project in Scratch and then, you know, they sent them to me and I looked at some of them and even the, the teachers who had never had coding experience before, they, some of them just, you know, went through the project with me, but others came back you know, two weeks after that and showed me projects that they were so interested and they got so excited about learning to do this stuff that they made their own projects and, you know, showed me something I'd never seen before. So that piece, then when it comes time to the actual event, the teachers are much more comfortable. They feel like they can actually help their students troubleshoot issues. And especially, you know, it's, it's debugging that they're doing basically, but they can go in and, and look at problems and help their students figure them out. They don't need to rely on somebody else. And I think the, based on the feedback that we got from the last event, the students also appreciated that just as much, if not more, than the teachers did. Every, I think everybody overall felt that the teacher training was the single biggest improvement from previous years. And we've had teachers incorporate into their curriculum. Mm -hmm. So they've actually you know, taken these tools and had figured out a way to continue the learning beyond the event, which is what we want. And so, again, students want to come back the next year, and we're trying to make this more dynamic. And so having an advanced event allows those return students to come. And then we bring beginners in who have never touched code maybe in their lives. I mean, we've had all-girls teams come from um, Basis in Tucson. We've had teams come from Prescott Valley up north. So all over the state they're coming. So it's not just um, Gilbert. And so I think that that's been really interesting too. But to see the return teachers grow with their students and feel empowered to be able to help them through the process, I think is really critical. Yeah. And we've talked before in previous episodes, I think you and Patrick talked about it a little bit in the last episode. Um, you know, we're using, we have Google as our sponsor, but ultimately we're, we're trying to give back to our residents. And I think one of my favorite things about the things that students have done and, you know, these projects that we've created in the teacher training and everything is that anybody can come, anybody, not just in Gilbert, but anywhere can come back and do that teacher training, you know, because we use Google tools, I can record every single training session that we did and we put that on our website and the projects that we had students make, I put those on the website. So like the junior high class that I just um, did the little session for, they had already done 
all of the sessions and all the student projects that we had on the Spark website. So when I came in, they they were they haven't even competed in a Spark event yet. They're waiting for the spring event and they already know, you know, they're already at that level where they're already creating their own projects. They're already starting the wheels turning in their head. And I think that when they get to that actual event, like their excitement is just gonna blow the roof off of the ASU building, you know, like they're, they're just already using that stuff. And then whatever they make this year, then now is going to compound for next year. And it's just going to snowball and get bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And it's pretty amazing. Cause like I said, this all started with, I don't have $40,000 yeah. to build a mobile app and it's just grown into something kind of beyond, um, my wildest imagination. And, you know, Patrick, you've been there through the whole process. What are the things that you've seen as the program has grown, observations that you've made um, about the students and the relationships and so forth? Yeah. You know, with the original goals that we had, Dana, of, of leveraging the resources within our community to return some value through mobile applications and utilization of our data almost feels like it's the the smaller piece of the return to our community. I think one of the most exciting things, and, and Derek, you mentioned it on this episode, that um, the potential for the entrepreneurial class we're creating in Gilbert, Arizona, and when you think about how do you grow economies, how do you strengthen economies, and, and Dr. Crow has been saying now for years in his focus at ASU, we need to um, get back to creating the entrepreneurial class in America. And I think that's exactly what programs like this have the potential to do and unlock in our community. And and we'll look back hopefully one day and think about, you know, these original applications we've got. And, and it almost seems childish that, you know, that could have ever been the focus of something that could become such a powerful tool for Gilbert, Arizona. And getting this, and, and when you talk about coding and exposing the children to this, it's not just kids that have an interest in the computer sciences or in, in coding. You get mathematicians, you get biology majors, you get kids who want to be doctors, attorneys, that this is that foundational element that they could take in any sector of employment and create mobile applications with it. You think about where the world's headed with telemedicine, this will have a huge component to that, and it could be a kid who started out with a desire to become a medical doctor and then realized he could have an even bigger reach by learning how to code and how coming up with a, a new and innovative and novel way to uh, expand the reach of telemedicine. And that's where harnessing the potential of that is far beyond what I, I ever envisioned for this or thought we could accomplish. And you think about why any city would want to go down this path for their community. That investment alone um, is worth this program and, and the very small amount of, of resources that have been put into it. I yeah. agree. I think some of the observations that we've made, students that stood in a cafeteria, again, we host the spring event at Arizona State University's campus, like I mentioned, and some of these students had never been on a college campus before. And so that's another huge piece of this. We had a kid stand in the cafeteria and say, I never thought about going to college, but this looks pretty cool, you know? And it's like, wow. I mean, if that's even what we're giving them, even if they go on and, you know, become, you know, an art major and it has nothing to do with coding, there is 
like Patrick said, this entire world that we're able to open them up to. And, you know, not only so they can see other students who might have similar interests, but just to be exposed to a college campus or to start to think about, to see a Google engineer standing in front of you talking about how they got to where they are today and think, huh, maybe I could work at Google one day. I mean, that's really powerful. And when you start thinking about doing that at junior high age, I mean, I think there's a lot of kids that leave high school and still are kind of wandering around wondering what they're going to do to their lives, but with their lives. But when we see these kids come and have this experience, it's literally changing how they're thinking about their future. Yeah. And, and I think it brings, uh, yeah, I mean, Patrick just mentioned it, but if you think about that stat that I said, 340,000 open computer science jobs, and it's exactly that, exactly what Patrick just said, is it's medical professionals that need some kind of software for these new technologies that are coming up in medicine. And it's a lot more difficult to explain the intricacies of medicine and biology and all these things to people who are programmers than it is to explain to somebody who already is in that field and knows how to code, you know? So the, 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 exactly those kids, those students that have programming experience, but they're majoring in a, a specialization engineering. I, I recently uh, spoke at a round table with some people from Boeing and Orbital. And, you know, we're talking about astrophysics and, and aerospace engineering and, uh, you know, people who are, are building the future of, of planes and rocket ships and stuff like that. They're not looking just for people who can code now. They're looking for people that know all the ins and outs of that industry that can help them make this new advanced software. It's, it's, it's several light years ahead of where we are now. And I personally, you know, almost selfishly too, I am very passionate about government and about um, citizens engaging back in their community. That's why I love that statistic about 70% of people coming back. Um, but also I love seeing kids. We, we always try to, you know, tie things back to Gilbert. I love seeing students get involved in civic tech. That's a big passion of mine now is seeing how can we use this coding experience to now come back and improve government too, you know, bring it back to the entrepreneurs and the government. And now everything is digital. I mean, this, this whole podcast is talking about digital government. What better way than to get students to invest their passions back into their community than through civic tech? Absolutely. It sounds like we need to do another episode on, on just that topic. Maybe, That's perfect. Maybe. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you haven't checked out the website, like you mentioned, sparkappleague.com, definitely you should do that and take a look at some of the examples of submissions we've had from past contests. And um, like I said, it's, it's a really unique program. You won't see anything like this in the country. And um, Derek, I know you get a lot of questions from other cities who would like to replicate it or are looking for you to come and have mini events. Mm -hmm. um, and so that would be a great place to start. We hope that you've maybe picked up some you know ideas, thinking about who you could make collaborative partnerships with in your community um, and, and don't count out those students. Look for those opportunities um, with high school and junior high students in your community. Look for passion. Look for people that are passionate about something and they'll, they'll make it happen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And until next time, be sure to engage with us on social media. Follow us at Gilbert Your Town on Twitter and Instagram and like us at Gilbert Town Hall on Facebook. And... 
Follow us on Twitter at Spark App League. Spark App League. And check out our videos at gilbertaz.gov backslash YouTube. And if you have questions or comments for us, use the hashtag GovGoneDigital. We'll see you next time from Gilbert, Arizona on Government Gone Digital. Gone Digital.